This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading the Challenging Opinions podcast for November 4th, 2019. Democrats are full of indignation at Donald Trump's behavior trying to get a foreign country to investigate the son of a political rival. But are the questions about Joe Biden valid anyway? Let's talk to someone who thinks so. Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested. Whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or skeptic. What matters is the strength of your argument, not the strength of your voice. Coming up on today's podcast. We've seen that the choosing the moderate candidate didn't work with uh, Al Gore. It didn't work with John Kerry. It didn't work with Hillary Clinton. So uh, really, when was the last time we gave a progressive candidate a chance to actually go in the general election? I think that's what the progressive wing of the party is thinking. That's coming up shortly. But first, I want to thank all of my donors on Patreon. I really appreciate everyone who contributes. If you don't know, Patreon is a system that allows people to donate a buck or two per podcast or per month, and that helps me to devote more time to research and finding interesting guests. And if you think that you could do the same as them, there's details on the website and at the end of the show. Air pollution in India is off the scale. That sounds like a rhetorical flourish, but it isn't. It's literally the truth. Most cities around the world, including India, have sensors which monitor the levels of various pollutants, but some of the most important to monitor are called PM10s and PM2.5s. I won't get into the technicalities, but that's basically a particle so small that our nasal hairs, the mucus on our airways, and the other ways that our bodies have evolved to deal with impurities in the air are unable to stop them. We have no natural defences against those particles. And they're bad. Breathing elevated levels of these particles is associated with a whole range of health problems, including bronchial asthma, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, interstitial pneumonia and birth defects. And they're listed as a grade one carcinogen, the worst type. They can come from a variety of sources, including diesel engines, power plants, agricultural burning, and domestic fires for heating and cooking. They're estimated to cause up to 50,000 deaths per year in the United States, and more than a third of a million deaths per year in Europe, which is more densely populated. There is a scale that basically measures how polluted the air is, It counts how many particles are in each cubic metre of air. Anything under 50 is good, under 100 is satisfactory, between 200 and 300 is poor, and there's a warning with that that it may cause breathing discomfort to people on prolonged exposure and discomfort to people with heart disease. Not nice, but it's not the worst. Between 300 and 400... Very poor air quality may cause respiratory illness to people on prolonged exposure. Effects may be more pronounced in people with lung and heart diseases. And at the top of the scale, between 4 and 500, 
they may cause respiratory impact even on healthy people and serious health impacts on people with lung or heart disease. The scale doesn't go higher, but the pollution can still get worse. Although there are no official classifications for the readings, the equipment can register higher readings in extremely polluted areas, but even they have their limitations. In the past few weeks, in some Indian cities, many sensors are all giving the same reading, 999. That would be a horrifying reading if it were true. It would mean that the pollution level was double the top of the range of the worst category of pollution. But it's not true. The air pollution isn't that bad. It's worse. The reading is 999 because that's the highest reading the sensors can give. When they were designed, nobody imagined that they would need to measure air quality that badly polluted. So the design limitation is that readings of a thousand or above can't be registered. They all appear as 999. So we don't have real data, but even though we don't have the true reading, we know that it's truly awful. It's the equivalent of smoking 50 cigarettes a day. The air pollution is literally off the scale. It has devastating results. Apart from the obvious lung cancers in non-smokers, half of Delhi's 4.4 million schoolchildren have stunted lung development from which they will never recover. There are a variety of reasons why it's so bad now. Some of them are seasonal, but that's not the point I want to make here. The live map of world air quality shows that air pollution is worst in poor Asian countries by a long way. There are some environmental campaigners who advocate a return to low-tech village life and who idealise some third-world ways of life. What they don't realise is that what they're describing is poverty. Grinding poverty. And people in grinding poverty like that will do almost anything to improve their lives right now. That may be cutting down a tree to get firewood to cook their next meal. It may be burning smoky coal to keep warm, or driving a dirty diesel truck to earn a few bucks. You can explain to them that they're endangering their long-term future, but when your short-term future is in jeopardy, that's not so persuasive. It's like telling someone going before a firing squad that they shouldn't have that last cigarette, it's bad for their health. It's true that the world faces gigantic environmental challenges. The way to solve them is to move forwards, not backwards. We have developed technologies that were unimaginable a few decades ago. The choice isn't between taking people out of poverty and meeting those challenges. In fact, it's probably not possible to do one without the other. Do you agree? Do you disagree? If you want your point of view heard, email podcast at challengingopinions.com and say what you think. On the line, I have Michael Tauberg. Michael is a senior columnist with progressivebrief.com. He's also a data scientist, but I was reading an article 
that you wrote, Markle, about, well, I'll give you the headline on the article. It says, Trump administration corruption doesn't excuse the Bidens. Why not? What have the Bidens actually been up to? Uh, yeah, I mean, the Bidens are far from the worst defenders in Washington when it comes to what you might call corruption. But uh, this uh, the story that's driving the Trump impeachment uh, narrative um, that uh, he's asking Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden uh, is actually, you know, there is some meat behind it. His son, Hunter Biden, uh, was on the board of this Ukrainian oil and gas company for many years, I think four years, being paid $50,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, for very no good reason. I mean, the average board member at a company is not paid that much, especially for a Ukrainian company, especially um, for a company which he has no background in. So it, it's there's no like smoking gun, but it's very fishy. And you sort of see this type of deal in Washington a lot. And I think even though, you know, Donald Trump clearly has conflicts of interest, that doesn't mean that we can't call it out when it happens on the Democratic side. Okay. Progressive Beef, I should say, is very much a pro-democratic uh, news website. That's fair enough. Uh, but I just want to let people know that. So you are addressing very much a progressive audience in the US. And just to look at the case of Hunter Biden a little bit more closely, he's a member of the board of this Ukrainian company, It's an oil and Mm -hmm. gas company, and there's no good reason to believe that Hunter Biden has any particular expertise in oil and gas. Uh, He, As you note in your article, he doesn't speak Ukrainian, uh, so he doesn't seem to have any particular localized interest there. And he's being paid what is a pretty big salary, a huge salary by Ukraine's standards, probably hundreds and hundreds of times the average salary there. And... Sure, that's a pretty standard way to buy influence. You hire the family members of somebody who is powerful and influential in a target country. And that is probably unethical, but it's certainly not illegal unless there's an explicit quid pro quo, which may exist, but we certainly don't know about it. And there's no point in speculating unless we actually have evidence, which we don't. But I have a bit of an issue with your your headline, with your article on this, because you seem to be falling into a trap that Donald Trump is setting for you, which is to say that there's some sort of equivalence. There's just no comparison between what Hunter Biden and Joe Biden have been accused of and what we know Donald Trump is up to. I would definitely agree with you that uh, the level of the Trump Uh, family corruption is sort of unprecedented in American history. And I try to sort of say that out front at the top. Um, And it could be argued that this is part of Trump's strategy, which I definitely believe it is. Uh, But I mean, you know, there's like the saying, it's kind of cliche, two wrongs don't make a right. I think that's sort of the argument here. And moreover, the argument that I would like to, to put forward is when the Democratic Party fails to hold its own people accountable for corruption, as they did with Hillary Clinton, for instance, it sort of allows this false equivalence to take hold. If we had candidates, which we do have on the Democratic side, who are sort of more um, free from these sort of corruption charges, they can more easily attack Trump on these issues without having uh, Trump be able to deflect it. So I, I agree with you completely that Trump is much worse, perhaps the worst offender in terms of corruption in U.S. political history. But I think ignoring it when it comes to candidates that we favor is not a good strategy. I completely agree with you that this type of thing shouldn't be ignored. But 
putting them together, and in your article, you've got side by side a picture of Biden and a picture of uh, Trump, neither of them looking terribly happy. And that's what I have a real issue with. These two things just don't compare. And uh, like I would say, sure, yeah, that looks, that stinks, that giving Hunter Biden a job like that, it really looks like Ukraine is trying to buy influence and that the Biden family are, are taking advantage of that. But it's just orders of magnitude different to what is happening with Donald Trump and what appears to be the case, we will find out in the coming impeachment hearings, but what appears to be the case that Trump was leveraging hundreds of millions of dollars of much needed military aid, given that Ukraine is under attack from Russia, for essentially bullying them into intervening in the US election. That's just not comparable. And when you put them side by side, it kind of sends out the signal that they are. Um. Yeah, I, I suppose that's sort of unavoidable, you know, like that's sort of the way that the, the article is framed. Um, well, partially because, you know, to get reader interest into this actual story of, of Biden's own conflicts of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would, I would, I mean, I sort of agree with you that, that this is like Trump's defense is going to be to go after Joe Biden. And perhaps that was sort of the reticence of the uh, impeachment hearings is because Hunter Biden will be implicated in this story and it will probably be bad for, I mean, it may, the narrative was that it might be bad for Biden's campaign, although it seems like that's not playing out. Um, but I think I just think long term past Trump, um, mm-hmm. you know, the party has to really look at who it wants to be in its image. And I think for many people, at least myself included, um, although now with you know, the current crop of Republicans, it looks like there is a big difference between the two. And other administrations, like you look at Mitt Romney or a John Kerry uh, or even a George W. Bush, and it didn't look like they were as corrupt as they were because the other side had their own problems. I mean, John Kerry, his son-in-law was actually um, had a company with uh, Hunter Biden. They were both working together in Washington, D.C., while their parents were off signing deals with foreign governments. So, I mean, I just wonder, when are we allowed to actually talk about these things? Um, Does Trump uh, presidency, his presidency mean we can never actually clean house? Uh, I just don't agree particularly with that perspective, although I I'm very sympathetic to the idea that that Trump's crimes will come out and will be staggering in comparison. Uh, Okay, and yeah, I think that's possibly true. And actually, I have some sympathy with you. And I think you're right that people in the Democrats on the progressive left or whatever you want to call it should be self-reflective, as should everybody, and not just pointing the finger away when they see some fault in their own house. They should address that. Do you think that possibly that goes a little bit too far and there's a, almost a love of internecine warfare uh, within the democratic camp these days? Uh, these days, it does seem to be that way. Um, but I think that's a good thing, honestly. I think I remember, you know, early in my life where, you know, the Democrats would put up a candidate, be that Hillary Clinton or John Kerry or Al Gore, who were, you know, had years of political experience, who had, you know, compromised themselves um, through being in Washington, perhaps rightly. I mean, obviously, to be a politician and get things done, you have to work with the other side and you you clearly need corporate money in those days. But now, I mean, we're lucky that we have the Internet. We have candidates who like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders who are not taking large sums of corporate money, who are largely free of these sorts of um, conflicts of interest. And I don't know uh, why we have to stick with these older style politicians 
who, although much better than their Republican counterparts, are still conflicted in a variety of ways and who we might question whether their allegiance is ultimately to their supporters or to their donors. The one thing that strikes me about this is that maybe you guys just aren't thinking big enough because I remember, I'm just about old enough to remember, and I think even people who are not old enough to remember will remember the stories of one lie that Bill Clinton told, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. That's been thrown Mm -hmm. back at him. It's been thrown back at Hillary Clinton in the decades since. And I'm looking here at uh, the website of the more than 10,000 false or misleading statements made by Donald Trump so far since he's been elected president. And people remember the Clinton lie more because there are just too many Trump lies even to to comprehend. It's a problem of scale, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, Donald Trump is is so unique in uh, American politics. I mean, it reminds me of that, you know, who knows who, whether Stalin said it, you know, like one death is a tragedy, you know, millions Mao, is a statistic. Mao, it was Mao. Yeah, Mao. Okay, Mao. So, so Trump has... He has, he's such a grand defender that he's almost uh, immune from charges now because, you know, which one do you actually point to? It's like a zebra <laughs> in a herd. Um, so I agree with you. Uh, and, and it is unfair. It is very unfair that Democrats who are generally cleaner are, are more targeted these sorts of um, hypocrisy charges. Uh, so I wouldn't, I'm not saying we should go easy on Trump, but I think, Especially when it comes to money and politics, you know, this is his line drain the swamp that he used when he was inaugurated. Obviously, he has failed to do so, but it uh, appeals to many voters who don't know better or many voters who thought that he he might make a change. And when we have politicians like Joe Biden, who who, you know, have these sorts of like his his sons are involved in these shady deals. Mm -hmm. It just adds credence to this argument when and there are candidates where this is not a liability. So I, I think. You know, it is a form of internecine warfare, perhaps, to to accuse certain candidates of this and not others. But I think that these are fair criticisms, personally, and that these criticisms will allow the best candidates, hopefully, to emerge to actually challenge Trump in 2020. Um, Are you sure that it won't just mean that whoever emerges to challenge Trump might just be mortally wounded by the time they make it onto the ticket? Uh, I mean... I don't think that's the case this year. You, I, my, I'm sympathetic to that argument in 2016 that uh, you know Hillary Clinton was mortally wounded because she had you know she had similar problems. You know she had those investment, uh, those uh, speeches she gave at Goldman Sachs, other banks for hundreds of thousands of dollars that did not look good, and those things came out in the Democratic primaries and definitely weakened her. Um, so from a tactical perspective, I'm sure you could argue that maybe these sorts of articles are not good for the party, but uh, I tend to think you know that sunshine will be the best disinfectant and then actually allow the strongest candidate to emerge so that this type of thing doesn't get to be thrown back at them in the general election. And isn't there an element here that what's happening within the Democratic Party is, okay, there's various different candidates vying for position, but the real battle is between the progressive wing and a wing that likes to see itself as realistic or electable. And there are some people saying that, you know, we can't go be too extreme because we have to take over the center ground. We have to get the middle ground voter in order to defeat Trump. And there's another wing saying that we have to be bold. We have to propose radical policies in order to inspire people. And Biden is clearly in the, in the centrist camp. 
isn't it true that you guys in the more progressive camp, you're just looking for stuff to beat up Trump, to beat up Biden with? Uh, I, I can't speak for everybody in the progressive camp, but um, I I think Biden is a weak candidate personally. I think he does not stand a good chance of winning. I mean, I understand the argument. I think you so your characterization of the progress, this sort of moderate practical wing versus the progressive wing, I think is largely correct. You know, minus a few candidates like Tulsi Gabbard, Andrew Yang, who have their own thing going on. Hmm. But yes, I think the main battle is between moderates and uh, progressives. And from my perspective, and even, you know, so tactically, let's say we accept that even if, if the moderate candidate is Joe Biden, I think he's a very weak candidate. I mean, he has 30 years of, of very not very good looking statements that can easily be cut up into attack ads that will make him look either uh, antiquated or out of touch or mean. Um, I, I, I mean, if you had a, if you I think like really what's what will most likely happen is that the Biden campaign will falter and that this moderate wing will have to go behind another candidate like a Kamala Harris or a Cory Booker. And then and then maybe, you know, I would be more sympathetic to like, let's lay off some of these guys. But um, we've seen that the choosing the moderate candidate didn't work with uh, Al Gore. It didn't work with John Kerry. It didn't work with Hillary Clinton. So uh, really, when was the last time we gave a progressive candidate a chance to actually go in the general election? I think that's what the progressive wing of the party is thinking. Do you think that Democratic primary voters are paying attention to the Biden story as opposed to the Trump story at all? Uh, I think Democratic voters have largely made up their mind on how they feel about these candidates uh, in terms of. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think honestly, I don't think this this Biden corruption thing is really picking up steam within the Democratic camp at all. It seems to be a nothing burger. If anything, his poll numbers have improved since it came out. Um, so I think uh, the real and, and Democrats, the Democrats for all the, you know, internecine warfare, as you call it, they are really are united in their hatred of the Trump presidency. So. I don't think the focus is really shifting too much <laughs> at the end of the day. If you had to, just to broaden it out for a last question, if you had to very briefly guess how the Democratic primaries will play out, how would you guess it? I mean, from the beginning, I thought Elizabeth Warren has the best chance just because Biden is not, I mean, he's a weak candidate. He's he's old, unfortunately, and um, not very in touch with the times. Bernie uh, is great, but also an old male, um, and and obviously he has health issues. So my money is still on Elizabeth Warren. Um, if the Biden campaign falters, I think you know either a Kamala Harris or more likely a Cory Booker will take a lot of his votes, and it'll come down to those two wings at the end: uh, an Elizabeth Warren progressive wing and either a Harris or Booker moderate wing. Um, and I still tend to think Warren is a much better politician than either of those two. So that's where my money is at. Elizabeth Warren. Michael Tauberg, very clear answer. Senior columnist with ProgressiveBrief.com. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. If you like the Challenging Opinions podcast, please rate and review the show on iTunes and other podcast providers. Share it on Facebook and Twitter. Tell your friends. But most important, make your view heard. Email podcast at ChallengingOpinions.com. Go to the website for sources and links to what we were talking about. And while you're there, please like the show on Facebook, follow at ChallengingO on Twitter, and follow Michael at Michael Tauberg. And get in touch with me if you can suggest a guest or a topic for a future show. And thanks to everyone who's signed up as a patron on Patreon so far. I really appreciate them helping me devote more time to researching topics and guests. And if you could do the same as them and donate a buck or two per podcast or per month, go to patreon.com slash challenging opinions 
or you'll find the link on the website. Also, you can find out how to subscribe to the podcast for free on your computer, on your phone, or by email. It's all at www.changingopinions.com. Coming up next Monday, that's November 11th, I'll be talking to the author and academic economist, Randall Holcomb. The Challenging Opinions podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Thank you for listening. Thank you.